The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Revival. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 64, 1-4 and Acts 4, 1-31. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. From the book of Acts. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone who was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. 
This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. You guys are, have already been sitting for a very long time, and then we read 31 verses from the Bible. You're thinking, is he really going to go verse by verse with that? Um, not going to do that, um, but we will definitely spend some time with that scripture today. Um, but do want to welcome you. I am Alex Reguello, one of the pastors here at Sacred City. Um, it's a joy to be with you to preach the word of God this morning. Um, I am very thankful to be able to give Pastor Justin a break. Um, if you haven't noticed, he's actually pre- n- preached nine weeks in a row, um, which is a lot. So thankful to be able to give him some rest. Um, I think his rest went well the first part of the week, but now I think he's a little sick uh, today. Is he, is he even here? No? We'll definitely pray for, for our brother there. Um, but thankful for his gifts that he brings to us and the time and energy that he puts into preaching the word on a weekly basis. And again, thankful to be able to give um, him a rest so he can spend some time with his family and get some other things done. Today, we're talking about prayer. And uh, as we move through the city or the series on revival, we've defined revival as a movement of God where individuals are awakened to God, churches are revitalized, and the culture is impacted for the glory of God. Prayer is necessary for that to happen. I doubt that is news to any of you. Most of us probably could have guessed that prayer had to be a part of this whole revival thing, but I don't know about you, but prayer's always been a little bit weird for me. I think prayer for me is a good gauge of how much the culture affects us. As I was praying and thinking through our topic this morning, I realized that the reason prayer has always been weird for me is because I tend to see it the same way that maybe a non-believer would see it. I can remember around 10 years ago, I worked at a coffee shop. And one night I worked an event that the shop was hosting. A church was putting on a worship night. So I'm serving the people their drinks. Everything's cool. There's a guy kind of playing some background music. People are enjoying their drinks, enjoying the conversation. But then the guy starts playing worship music. And the whole atmosphere changed. People stop talking and they put their drinks down and they closed their eyes and they raised their hands and they started singing worship music together. Now, at this point in my life, I considered myself a Catholic, so I'd never seen anything like that in my life. One of the most uncomfortable situations that I had ever been in to that point in my life. You see, I think that was the case because I started to see things the way non-believers would do it. I can remember even texting Emily and my boss saying, you wouldn't believe what these people are actually doing. Right? I thought that they were all complete weirdos. Well, prayer was somewhat, and somewhat still is, very similar to that for me. I used to think that praying out loud and praying together was one of the most weirdest things that people could do. Personally, I couldn't do it on my own, and I was super uncomfortable in corporate situations. That feeling of what in the world are we really doing? Talking out loud to someone that we can't see and maybe even isn't listening. Right? There were these doubts that were in my mind. So since that was the case, I wasn't very willing to invest time in personal prayer. I'd rather read or work out or do something else with my time. And I didn't, definitely didn't enjoy stepping into the uncomfortable situations of praying with others because I was always thinking, are these people judging what I'm saying? Right? Are they going to think that I sound like an idiot? Well, I can see now that I had very little knowledge of who God was and really what prayer was. If I really believed that in the beginning there was God and nothing else existed until he spoke it into existence and also understood that prayer was completely natural for one created in the image of that God and for a relationship with that God, 
then I don't think I would have seen it as so, being so weird because I would have seen it as normal. But I think the culture filled me with so many lies that what I truly believe was people who don't pray and people who don't have a relationship with God are the normal people. Religious people are the different ones. So culture was, and sometimes still is more real to me than God is. This belief can keep me from enjoying one of the most amazing gifts that God's ever given us and the power that it has. So that's a small part of my history with prayer. Maybe some of you have a similar history. So I'm very excited to talk about this today. Now, you have to understand something really quick though. My excited is different than Pastor Justin's excited. He's a little bit more expressive than I am. A couple of weeks ago, I was a guest on this podcast that he's been putting together. He asked me to, to come talk about a topic that I enjoy talking about. I enjoy discussion of important topics. But again, his excitement was on a different level for this thing to happen. He told me to be there at, at 12 p.m. So I show up around 12 p.m. I'm walking just casually to his office in all of my excitement. He comes out of the room that we're about to do this thing in. And he looks at me and says, are you ready for this? <laughs> I'm like, bro, we are not about to get into a cage fight. We're, we're going to talk about something. So again, don't expect that from me. But I am excited because my hope is that, uh, that everybody would have something from here today. My hope is that you would leave here with a similar excitement about prayer that I have had in the past couple of weeks as I've been preparing for today. One of the things that I realized in the past couple of weeks is I never understood the power of prayer. If you can understand this and adopt this means of grace into your life, awesome things can happen, which is what this series is all about. Something awesome happening. Now, when I say awesome, I mean, of course, that we should be in awe of what happens, right? Our mouths should drop, better yet, our knees should drop in worship of our great God. I've missed this, though, in pr with prayer in my past. I've kept this tendency to rely on myself far too much, which means I miss out on seeing the amazing things that God can do. See, I know in my head that God is in control and that I'm called to this utter dependence on him, but functionally, the way my life plays out, there's very little dependence on him many times. This is something that I believe God has been wanting to show me for a long time now. This past couple of weeks, he's been illuminating many things for me. So this sermon is coming from somewhat of a personal revival that has happened in me, where I would say that I've enjoyed God and felt near to him and been more bold in asking him to meet my needs, meet my desires in the past two weeks, maybe more so ever than my Christian, entire Christian walk. Where did that nearness come from? It's crazy. It's, I started talking to him more. Who would have thunk? In order for me to feel near and enjoy him and enjoy being his son and feel bold enough to ask him to meet my needs and desires that I have, I had to interact with him more. I hope today will encourage you to do the same. Our father is a good gift giver and loves to give these good gifts to his children that ask. He even tells us to be bold and persistent in asking. We should see this today. This morning, we are going to look at a prayer, at what prayer is, and then sit down in that passage that we read in the book of Acts to see what prayer can do. My hope is that we will see three things. Pretty simple. Number one, a call to prayer, that we are called to actually be people of prayer. Number two, a need for prayer, that we as Christians actually need to be praying to our God. And number three, the power of prayer. What can actually happen if we begin take this means of grace into our life. 
Our hope is that this would encourage you to press into God with prayer and be confident that amazing things can most certainly happen. So let me pray and then we'll get started. Father, the father of lights, the one that every good and perfect gift comes from, the one that even says that if we ask for the Holy Spirit, you will give him. We ask for your Holy Spirit today. We ask that the Holy Spirit's presence would be felt, that the Holy Spirit would speak through my mind, that the, the things that you've been doing in my heart and in my mind these past two weeks, that those would come out today, Lord. They would come out in my words. They would come out in my body language. They would come out in my tone of voice, whatever you need to use um, to speak truth to these people today, Lord. We also know that they need you, Lord. We know that they need ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to be affected so that change can happen, Lord. We are wanting revival. We desire revival to happen in this city, Lord. We want change to happen in our hearts and in this church, and we want to see this entire city transformed. And we can have confidence that you can do that, Lord. So we pray for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's first try to set a foundation of what prayer is. Prayer is a global phenomenon. All cultures throughout history of the world have shown signs of some type of religion. Prayer has always been a part of it. Now, many theologians say this is because humans were created, all created in God's image and have this awareness of God. As Romans 1 talks about, we can also look at creation and see that it was created and is sustained by something or someone that's greater than us. So with this knowledge of a divine, we have this natural instinct to look to this greater power when we are in need. I think that that's where I was at when I was a child. When I was in a pinch, when I thought I needed something that I didn't think anyone else could provide, I went to this higher power, hoping that he would give me help. Pastor Timothy Keller in his book on prayer defines prayer as a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. Now that's a general definition that works for all types of prayer, be it a Muslim, a Jew, Hindu, or a Christian. They can pray like that because God has revealed himself to all humans at some level. With the knowledge of God that they do have, they pray to seek and to connect and to respond to that knowledge. The knowledge informs their praying. That leads us to the difference in general prayer that all humans have had throughout time and Christian prayer. Christians have more than just this general knowledge of God, don't we? We have a specific knowledge of God as God has revealed himself to us in his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit shows us that we are not just any old humans that were created by God, but we are children who have been adopted by God. This means that prayer is still about connecting and responding to God, but because of our knowledge that we have, that God is not only the master of the universe, but he's also our father and we are his children, a real connection can be made and our needs can actually be met. Man, can we praise God for that? The whole reason we humans were created was to enjoy this intimate relationship with God, which is what our hearts long for. But we messed it up and we still mess it up. But he made it possible through sending his son and sending his spirit for that relationship to be, to be reconciled. And then gave us prayer so that we could see it, feel it, taste it, enjoy his goodness with all that we are. Isn't that a much different way of looking at prayer than seeing it as something that religious people do if they want to stay or look religious. Prayer is much more precious than that. 
Pastor Keller in another place in his book says that failing to do it, failing to pray is not to merely break some religious rule. It is a failure to treat God as God. I would add to that. If we aren't treating God as God, then we aren't being who we really are and enjoying who we really are, which is why the Bible clearly calls us to prayer. Samuel in first Samuel 12, while speaking to his people says far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. So the Bible sees not praying as a sin against the glory of God. In Deuteronomy 4, 7, it says that what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. The Bible sees prayer as a way one could know who God's people are. We can even see in the Bible how prayer is connected to the person's knowledge of God. Like I mentioned before, we can look at Abraham's prayer in Genesis 18, where he asked for God's mercy for Sodom and Gomorrah. He did that because God revealed to him that he was a merciful God. Moses prayed for the Exodus. He did that because God revealed to him that he was a delivering God. Isaiah, like we read this morning, prayed for God to come down and change nations because God revealed to him that he was an imminent God, a God that wants to be near to his people. David, Solomon, Job, Daniel, all of these guys that are well-known from the Old Testament, we see this interaction with God in their life. And the New Testament is no different. We know Jesus prayed, taught his disciples to how to pray, told his disciples to ask in prayer, healed people through prayer. He faced his greatest trial with prayer. And prayer was what made up his last words before dying. We continue to see this call to prayer from the apostles. The book of Acts tells us that the early church was constantly in prayer, that they were devoted themselves to prayer. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we should be praying without ceasing. Colossians, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And I could keep going because Paul mentions prayer over 40 times in his letters. Prayer is something that the Bible emphasizes. So it seems that it's important in the life of anyone who is in relationship with God. Those who know God and desire to know God more and more and desire to see amazing things happen in their hearts and in this world interact with him through prayer. We do this because God, God calls us to do it. And I believe he calls us to do it because he knows we need it. When we were saved by God's grace, a couple things happen. We were made carrier characters of his story, but we were also made carriers of his story. We need prayer to persevere in both of these. This seems to be something that many Christians can miss. Many want to identify more with what would be called communion-centered prayer, which would relate to the character piece, or others identify with what would be called kingdom-centered prayer, which would relate to the carrier piece. One camp would say that prayer is only a means to experience God's love and presence. That's communion-centered. Or it's all about calling on God to bring his kingdom, somewhat wrestling with God to think on what we think should be happening in the world. That's kingdom-centered. Both of these camps would agree that prayer is vital for the Christian, but disagree on why we need it. Do we need it so that we can feel and experience something almost mystical as we enter into God's presence in prayer? Or do we need it only so that we can see God act in the world through answered prayers? So which is it? Peaceful adoration or assertive suffocation? 
Keller in his book takes you to the Psalms for that answer. The inspired prayer book of the Bible. We see in numerous Psalms this more communion-centered prayer. Psalm 63, 5 says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift my hands up. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. David is adoring God and his presence through prayer. And what does he say at the end? My soul will be satisfied. So clearly prayer is about communion with God. When we are speaking with him, we feel his presence, we are resting in his presence, and that is good for our souls, and they're actually learning that it's good for our bodies as well. Neuroscientist Andrew Nieberg writes in a study he did on prayer, intense, long-term contemplation of God appears to permanently change the structure of those parts of the brain that control our moods, give rise to our conscious notions of self, and shape our sensory perceptions of the world. Studies show that through prayer, our brains change, brain cells grow, areas of anger become less active, areas of compassion become more active. We become generally more joyful. The neural pathways that strengthen relationships are developed. That's why we need prayer, because we are characters in God's story and need to experience communion with him. But then we have Psalms like Psalm 10. Where in verse 12, it says, arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. That doesn't sound like adoring God anymore and desiring to be in his presence. The psalmist here is calling for God to do something. He's calling for God to exercise his power. Many times this type of prayer comes with an experience of God's absence. So it is like that wrestling match I mentioned before. We pray because we need God to move. We need God to work through us so that we can be that carrier of his story that he wants us to be. So from the Psalms, it seems that both these forms of prayer are biblical, but we can look at other places in the Bible to see this as well. Hebrews 4.16, which we read, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. so we see this in multiple areas of the Bible that we enter into God's presence because Jesus has given us his righteousness, which is confidence that we need to be in his presence. And yes, experience that presence and be thankful because we know that we don't deserve it, but also it says we do it so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. That means ask God to be God, to help us because we need him. Without him, we are helpless, which means without prayer, we will miss the joy of being a character in his story and not receive the power that we need to be a carrier of it. So prayer is this calling from God. That's good news because we need prayer to experience who we are and to do what he's asked us to do. But now let's spend the rest of our time looking at how powerful prayer can actually be. For this, we're going to open up our Bibles to the passage that we read this morning. So if you open up your Bibles to Acts chapter four, 
I'll briefly summarize what's happening in the first part of this passage. And then we'll sit down in verses 23 through 31 to show the power of prayer. So background here, Jesus has just risen from the grave, spent some time with his disciples and was seen by over 500 witnesses. And then he ascended into heaven. Before he did that, he told the, the, the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. So they were together on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to them. He came, he filled them. And this is where the church started. The church was called to be on the mission of God. And amazing things start to happen. 3,000 souls were added to the body of Christ after one sermon. People started living as a family and no longer for themselves. Selling their possessions and sharing the money. Praying together, studying together, worshiping together. These believers, a few thousand of them, to start to live in communion on mission for the glory of God which God continued to use to add to their numbers on a daily basis. Then Peter and John decide one day to go to the temple to pray. On their way to the temple, they see a lame beggar who had been lame from birth. Peter ends up healing this man so this man can walk for the very first time in his life. This man appropriately worships God for his healing. And the Bible says all the people saw him walking and praising God. And this blew them away. Peter then preaches to these people, telling them that it was faith through faith in Jesus that this man has been healed and calls them to repentance and faith. Well, this is something that the religious leaders didn't like very much. So they arrested the apostles, threw them in jail, and then questioned them the next day. We see this in verse five of the passage that we read. We see the who's who of the Jewish religion gathered together together in Jerusalem to discuss this and really try to figure out what in the world is going on. This shows us how big of a deal this was. These leaders just thought that they extinguished this movement by killing Jesus, but now these apostles are showing signs that the work of preserving the Jewish religion is not finished. So Peter answers their questioning with boldness, telling them that it was in Jesus' name that this man was healed, and that it is in Jesus' name that we must be saved. These words were blasphemous words to the religious leaders. It was the same type of words that led to Jesus being murdered. That's how much they hated what Peter and John were saying and doing. So there's no doubt that they wanted to put a stop to it, but all they could do and all they could come up with was charging Peter and John to not talk about Jesus anymore. And when the apostles didn't agree, the leaders threatened them even further, but then released them because they didn't have anything to punish them for. And that brings us to verse 23. The rest of this passage is where we can look in an example of prayer from the word of God and see its power. Let's look at verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. So Peter and John were let go. And right away, they called a special meeting with the other apostles to plan out exactly what their next action steps needed to be. Isn't that what happened? It's not what it says here. It says they went to their friends. This word means their own, which means that this wasn't just the other apostles that they went to, but most likely their families and the others in the church. The people that possibly were up all night worried about what was going to happen with Peter and John. But Peter and John tell these friends what the religious leaders charged them to do and also told them about the threats. 
So think about this. Here's a group of people who have just had their lives radically transformed. Their lives have been recently reoriented. They live for a different purpose now. They want to live for Jesus. They want his kingdom to come. They want more people to be brought into his family. But they have this resistance coming at them. They have the most powerful people in their culture, the ones who killed Jesus himself, threatening them and telling them that they have to stop doing what Jesus has told them to do. You think they might've been a little bit terrified at this? I think so. So what do they do? It says, and then they heard it. They lifted their voices together to God. The first thing we can see here is how quickly they move to prayer. It doesn't say, and when they heard this, they tried to figure out what they should do. And then they were stumped. So they decided to pray. That's what would have happened if this group was a bunch of me's. I would immediately start thinking about in my own head, what's the best way to move forward here? If I was struggling, then I would go to praying. But that's not what they did. They immediately went to the father. That's some more evidence of what we've already talked about. These people knew that that God's people are called to pray and they need to pray. So they go there right away. This also means that they recognize the bigness of the situation and how helpless they are to get out of it. So here are my questions for us to hopefully make this relevant. Have we witnessed our culture recently? Have we paid attention to the news lately or even our news feed on Facebook? There's broken and hurting people all around us. Do we care about that? Did you hear the statistics that Pastor Justin mentioned about 40% of the Quad Cities being unchurched? 90% of the churches are on the decline. That means that thousands of people, our family members, our friends, our neighbors, coworkers, don't know God. So they're worshiping some worthless idol to try to fill this deep hole in their heart that only our God can fill. Can we see the bigness of our current situation? and see how helpless we are to get out of it ourselves. Our own hearts need to change. Our own families need healing. Our own church needs good news. And our own city needs all of that. I hope we can feel that. These people, some of these ordinary Christians, didn't come up with some extraordinary plan and take on some extraordinary action to face their situation. They went to the ordinary means of grace that God has called them to. They went to their heavenly father because they realized their situation and they were scared, but they were scared because of their love for Jesus. The only way the threats of those religious people would be carried out on them is if these people continued to spread the name of Jesus. If they weren't going to do that, then they had nothing to be scared of, but because they loved Jesus, they did have that desire and were going to continue to spread his name they knew that they had to bring this problem to the father. I think if this passage is going to be relevant for us, number one, we have to look internally and be honest about how we feel about the current state of our own hearts and the current state of our culture. And number two, if we are broken over that, we have to see that we are completely helpless to change it on our own. Only then will we turn to God who can change it and wants to change it. And it was, we will see prayer as the power to invite that to happen. 
The next thing I want us to see here is the phrase, lifted their voices together. This is a biblical example of corporate prayer. This wasn't just Peter praying. It wasn't only the apostles praying. Remember, many of them were ordinary Christians. They also didn't tell everyone to go off on their own and pray secretly. They prayed together. There's power in Christians coming together and communing with the Father and bringing their needs to him. Revival in the Quad Cities most likely is not going to happen if only Pastor Justin's praying for it. Only the elders are praying for it, or even only the people in this room are praying for it. It's not going to happen. It's also not going to happen if we're not praying together. We can do it in our personal prayer. That's why we gave you that prayer journal at the beginning of the series, but also coming together at our fight clubs, at our MC gatherings, whenever we come together to lift our voices to the Father, and we also need to be praying for other Christians outside of this church. Other churches would join in with us. Let's just talk about one example from history that I think will encourage us and give us hope. There've been many revivals that have happened throughout history and every single one of them started with constant prayer. One of them was called, gave the nickname, the businessman's revival. In 1857, a man, Jeremiah Lamphere, a man named Jeremiah Lamphere was hired by a church in New York city as a lay missionary. He was given no direction for his job. So he started to pray, Lord, what would you have me do? Over and over again through his days, he would pray this prayer each time feeling closer and closer to having an answer from God. He would also observe the culture and see how broken it was. Thousands of people were without hope and their fates were eternal death away from God. Sounds similar to the Quad Cities. So he continued to think and pray about what he could do to make an impact on this city. Would he go around and pass out tracts? Would he go door to door and preach the word of God? What he felt like he was, God was telling him to do was to start a prayer meeting from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. for businessmen in the city who were typically taking their time to rest from their work. So he did it. On September 23rd, 1857, he opened the doors of this meeting room and the, for the first half hour, he prayed alone. Then one man joined him, then a few more. The first meeting ended with six businessmen spending their midday break in prayer together. Then the next week, 14 men came. The week after that, 23 men came. And then they decided that it would be a good idea to pray every day together for their city. As time went on, the entire room was full of men and other churches joined in and started their own prayer meetings. Specifically praying for the city that God would move and change it. A reporter caught wind of this and decided to do a story on it. For the research for the story, he went around to all the prayer meetings and he said, Within the hour of all the places that I was able to get to, I've seen 6,500 men praying together from 12 o'clock to one o'clock every single day. That's amazing in and of itself, starting with one man praying and asking others to join him. 6,500 men were praying on a daily basis together for their city. But what else happened? From this, 15 revivals broke out. 15 revivals were recorded to break out throughout the United States and even overseas into Europe and Africa. It is estimated that over the course of these revivals, a population of 30 million people in the United States, 1 million new converts were made. And another 1 million nominal Christians were reinvigorated with a love for God and a love for people. That's just one example of what God does in people and in cities 
when his people come together, commune with him and ask him to move. They experience and enjoy him more deeply and new people are brought into his family. And I can give you many more examples, study revivals and you'll see it. God seems to love when his children come together consistently and ask him to move. Prayer is powerful because God is powerful. We see that as we move into verse 24. Sovereign Lord says, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Let's remember that we said that prayer was based on our knowledge of God. These people go to prayer to connect with and call on God because they know who God is. They say sovereign Lord, the one who is in control of all things, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This is the creator God they are appealing to. The one who has created everything in the world, including these elders and including these priests, so that they know that he could do whatever he wanted with them. They move to talking about God using Herod and Pilate, who were also antagonistic to God in his ways, to carry out the plan that he had predestined to take place. So not even what happened to Jesus was outside of God's control. They know God is powerful. He's totally sovereign. So they speak it to him in their prayer. Not for God. He doesn't need us to tell him who he is, of course, but we need to know it. We need to confess it so that we can be in awe and it can comfort us and fill us with joy and with the boldness to continue. Do we know God like this? Do we trust that he's really in control? Trust that he can do whatever he wants with our hearts and with our city? Our prayer life could be a good picture to show us if that's really what we believe. The creator and sustainer of everything we know, the one who can hold the whole world in his hands, invites you, his son or his daughter, to come into his presence and speak with him. Prayer is so powerful because we have a powerful and loving God that hears it. Now we might be saying, I'm not sure how to pray like that. That's okay. Do what you do know how to do and be intentional about growing in that discipline. But again, this is a biblical example of Christians praying that God wanted to reveal to us. So let's look at it. Maybe we can get some help with that. We see five sentences telling them who God is, telling God who he is. That should give us a picture of a good way to start prayers. This is why starting with reading the Bible or reading a call to worship or even singing a hymn prior to your prayer time is a good practice. The Bible is the word of God. Prayer is really just continuing the conversation that he's already started with us. Then we have verse 29. It says, and now, Lord, they're bold in their asking. Now, Lord, they say. Not, hey, God, if you ever get five minutes, would you mind helping me out real quick? But now, Lord. Then they say, look upon their threats. This is almost like them saying, Can you believe what they are asking of us, God? They're trying to quiet the name of Jesus. They're trying to stop the spread of your glory. Don't let it happen, God. They bring the specific problem to the father. Then they say, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They bring their specific needs to the father also. They are scared. They've just been threatened. They had good reasons for their anxieties. They potentially fear for not only their own lives, but also for their families. 
Were they willing to risk these special things in their life to obey Jesus? They knew they wouldn't without God giving them the power to do that. Even if there wasn't any present danger for these people, this prayer is also about a boldness to push through the resistance to not let their flesh take over and keep them in the comfortable. Mission isn't comfortable much of the time. Our flesh wants us to be inward focused, focus on us and Jesus or us and our family or us and even in our church family. These people knew that they needed the power of God to stay on the mission of Jesus. So they prayed specifically for it. We would do well to learn from this. We don't need to get weird and see this as exactly what to do or exactly how to pray if we want God to respond. That's not what I'm saying, but it does give us a picture of what early Christians did. Christians who have the same God that we have when they desired something of importance to happen. Just like we can look back at Acts 2 and see how the early church lived as a family of God. We can look at this and see how these behaviors could shape how we handle similar situations. So I ask you then, do you see why prayer is important for revival? Do you see that we are incapable of making it happen on our own? We are not sovereign. We are not the creator. We are still in this battle where our flesh is keeping us from following the spirit's lead. Revival has no chance of happening without God. But here's what we see God uses. Ordinary Christians intentionally putting time into personal and corporate prayer where they are connecting with and responding to the real God and boldly asking him to move and meet their needs and the needs of their culture. When they did that, look at what happened. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Sometimes when Christians lift their voices to God, they see physical demonstrations of God's power. Here, the room started shaking. This would probably freak most of us out. But God can still do this if he thinks it's necessary. We also see that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Interesting, because at conversion, we know that a believer is given the Holy Spirit. We also know that at Pentecost, the same thing happened. The people at Pentecost, many of the same people that we're speaking about here, were filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. He seems to be important here. We've already learned that in this series. Justin did a whole sermon on the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit if revival is going to happen. But the last piece of what resulted is what I think maybe we need to hear to give us some hope and confidence that prayer is powerful. It says they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What did they ask almighty God? They asked for boldness to speak his word. What did he grant them? The boldness to speak his word. We've all heard Romans 8:28 many times, I'm sure. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's truth. But I think many of us still struggle with believing that. And I think that might be the case because we fail to recognize his goodness in our day to day. So think about this. What if we were specific with our petitions to the father? Do we see that how that might help us to recognize his goodness to us? If we were to say, God, please, I need your help to grant it to your child for the boldness to share the gospel with my coworker, Mary this week, or the trust necessary to tithe this month, 
or the desire to not just show up to MC, but actually engage and participate, maybe even pray or share an evidence of grace in my life. And then those things actually happen. Do you think that you would have a better grasp of how much God is into you? How he's out for your good. If what you pray happens, which the Bible says it will, if we are his children and we do ask and we ask for the right reasons, can't we see that we will experience the love of God to a deeper level? Can't you see that we'll be more tenderly responsive to his presence? God is working in your life. If you are a Christian, he's doing work right now. And that work will continue until it's completed one day. He wants us to enjoy that and worship him while it's happening. Prayer like this is how it can happen. Even if we get no answers to our prayers, we can still see his goodness because if we know and trust that he is always good, he's always out for our good. If we ask and he doesn't provide, then we can know that we didn't need it. It wouldn't have been good for us and glorifying to him. We can still worship him for his protection and care in that. So we've seen that ordinary Christians who pray consistently and even pray together because of their knowledge of who God is and what he can do and their knowledge of who they are and what they cannot do will deepen their love for him and receive power necessary to do what he has called them to do. Sacred city church. We feel as your leaders that God is calling us to desire and pray for revival in the Quad cities. We have been sharing this vision with you for the past eight weeks and praying that God is stirring something in you that will give you that same desire and pray for the same thing. As I was praying about this last week, what started to come to my mind was all the things that could actually happen if revival did come. I thought about how our cities would start to look more like heaven than looking like earth. Buildings and parks and streets and houses and entire neighborhoods would be renewed. There would be more homeless shelters and food pantries and clothing ministries, more places like 180 for people who are struggling with addiction and needing help to get back on their feet. There would be less shootings, car thefts, burglaries, drunk driving incidences. Less racism, sexism, legalism, moralism. There would be more worship of God than worship of money and sports and sex and food and social status. You would see less groups of people all together just looking at their phones and ignoring each other. More people enjoying each other's company and building real relationships. There would be more marriages staying together. Kids would have both parents in their lives. Your neighbor that you keep praying for would actually come to MC. Your friends that are far from God right now would start loving Jesus Churches will forget about what they disagree on and work together for what they do agree on and fight for it. And most importantly of all, our wonderful God who deserves all glory and honor and praise will be treated more as who he actually is. Don't we want that? I'm not saying that everything would be perfect. That won't happen here while sin is still present, but a season where God come, God's kingdom comes just as it is in heaven most certainly can happen. Do we want this? How would that make you feel to have a touch of heaven break through in the here and now and radically change everything in your life and everything in this city? Prayer has the power to do that. Prayer that we've been called to do that God knows we need and that God loves to answer. You say, how do we know that God will answer? I'll end today with another quote from Keller's book. He says, we see David in the Psalms maintain the heart to pray after being denied requests, such as when his infant son died, because the experiences with God over the years in which God saved him again and again, 
So there's prior evidence that God really loves him. He continues. We who live after Christ, who believe the gospel, however, have a greater resource for assurance that God will hear our petitions. We know God will answer us when we call because one terrible day, he did not answer Jesus when he called. Jesus asked for his cup to be taken, but it wasn't taken. He cried out, my God on the cross, but wasn't heard. He was forsaken. Jesus is the only one who deserves for all of his prayers to be answered because of his perfect life. We deserve none of our prayers to be answered because of our sinful lives. But because the gospel is true, the great exchange has happened. And now the father not only hears our prayers, but answers them. We don't make that possible. There's nothing that we can do to make that possible. Christ has already made it possible. The Bible even says that he's next to the father right now, praying for all of us, taking our prayers, no matter how inadequate they are and making them beautiful and pleasing to the father. He's got us taken care of. The gospel proves this. I pray we can remember its power. Let's pray. God, we do pray for that. We pray that we can remember the power of the gospel. We learned back in Exodus when we went through that series that us as people, it would be very, very dangerous to get into the presence of the Father. That you told Moses, no, you can't see my glory fully because you're so perfectly holy and we are not that it would incinerate us, Lord. We can't come into your presence without perfection. We can't come into your presence without a perfect righteousness. So we thank you for the power of the gospel that Jesus took on that sin for us and gave us his perfect righteousness so that now we can actually come to your throne of grace and come to it with confidence and commune with you as we've been talking about, but also boldly ask you to move in our lives, move in this city. So we do now boldly ask you, Lord, would you speak to these people, whatever you wanted them to hear from me today, Lord. May you magnify that in their eyes. Would you magnify that in their heads and in their hearts, Lord. And may you stimulate them now to now and go be carriers of your story to the city, Lord. May we ask for you to do amazing things in this city and then may we be the hands and feet that go and do that, Lord. Would you be glorified, Lord? Would you bring revival here? So more people would know who you are. More people would know who the God of the universe is, that you would be treated who you actually are and we would experience who we really are. People who were created to walk with you. People who were created to have this unbelievably perfect, intimate relationship with you. We long for that day when that's perfectly going to happen. And now we ask that it would happen to an extent here in the here and now, Lord. Would you break through and do something special in our cities? All for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.